<clears throat> our first reading is from the book of Isaiah. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before I call, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Isn't it a beautiful day? Happy Mother's Day. As you said, Happy Mother's Day, uh, Dean, I suddenly realized I forgot to wish my wife happy Mother's Day. I have got her flowers, I have got her candy, so I should be all right, but I might be in big trouble, you never know. There's always hope, isn't there? I want to talk a little bit this morning about hope and, you know, what hope is. I mean, you are a church, I'm right in thinking that, I haven't got that wrong, is that right? So you are a community of hope. Yes? You don't sound very sure. You're a community of hope. Yes? Yes. Indeed you are. So I want to think a little bit about hope this morning because I had this a little revelation that actually, as Christians, we're often really quite confused about exactly what it is we are hoping for. I gathered together with some friends, some male friends of mine. I was invited to go and discuss a film. We all watched a film. It was a film by Terence Malick called A Hidden Life. Excellent film, very long but very beautiful. It's the story of an Austrian peasant farmer. And he is alive during the, uh, the Second World War, and he's called up to join the Nazis. And he says no. Because of his faith... He says no, he is, as it were, a conscientious objector. And it's his story, and as you watch his story, he loses everything. He loses the respect of his villager, the, his community, the village where he lives. His wife is spat on. So he loses everything, and in the end, he loses his life. So we met to discuss this film. And the question that it really came down to is, what kind of hope, what kind of faith would somebody have that they could go through all of that. Bunch of men, beer, bourbon. The question comes in, well, what is Christian hope? Lots of sort of grunting. Mm -hmm. You know how men are. Mm -hmm. 
But the strange thing is, none of us could really succinctly and simply answer that question. What is Christian hope? So after a bit more grunting, we decided to end the evening and we would gather again to discuss, and it never really happened. But I want to think with you about that. I mean, what do you think? Do you know what Christian hope is? It's one of those words, isn't it? Hope. My little daughter was uh, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And there's that song. Do you know that song? Just think positive. You know that one? You've never seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the musical? Oh, my gosh. Well, there's a song, and it's really the theme of the whole thing is just think positive. And this is America, right? Just think positive. As a Brit, I actually really like that about you lot. Brits are naturally pessimists. It's the hope that kills you, is a phrase we like, particularly if you're into soccer. So I like that about, but is that what we mean by Christian hope? That we're just kind of generally positive people with a hopeful outlook on life, is that it? Well, this morning I'm going to suggest to you what I think Christian hope is, at least from a historical point of view. Not a matter of Matt's opinion or a theological angle or point of view, but as a historical evidence, if you will. Because we actually know quite a lot about the world that Jesus lived in. Unsurprisingly, over 2,000 years and a lot of study and a lot of very clever people, we know a lot historically about what the community that Jesus was part of, what, how they thought, how they believed, and what they hoped for. And the context of the prayer that you've been looking at for these last few weeks, the Lord's Prayer, it's not just a general prayer. Hey, Jesus, just teach us something in general to pray, which is some nice thoughts that we can pray when we don't know what else to pray. That's not what's going on here. This is a very succinct, very clear, very well thought through, if you will, prayer that points to very specific things. It was a prayer taught to the disciples at a specific moment in history, to real people living in a particular world. So we can know quite a lot about what Jesus was pointing to. It's a very Jewish prayer. And in fact, there's nothing in this prayer that the Jewish people had not already prayed. I don't know if that's a shock to you, but this is not an original prayer. You can find every phrase, almost word for word, in other Jewish literature that predates the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus is gathering all of this together into a very succinct and clear form. And in the middle of the prayer, right beginning middle, towards the start, you get this phrase we're going to look at this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to suggest to you that's a very definite and clear hope. And we can know what that is. So let's pray, and then we'll have a look at it. Is that okay? Father, this morning, as we look at the way you taught us to pray, 
the prayer you taught to your disciples when they came to you and said, Jesus, would you teach us what to pray? My prayer is that it would be your words, it would be your spirit that speaks loudest, that you would teach us as you want to teach. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go. In Matthew's Gospel, the Lord's Prayer is a part of a series of instructions. I think you've been looking mostly at Matthew's version. And then in Luke's version that we read uh, this morning, it comes in a response to the disciples saying, how should we pray? And when you hear that, it's not like, uh, Jesus, uh, should we pray on our knees? Is that good? Or should we do it with open hands? Or maybe hands raised in the air. Do you like that, Jesus? It's not a technical question. How should we pray? It's saying, Lord, what direction should our prayers go? What are we actually praying for? What are we, as it were, turning into words? Our hopes, where is this whole thing heading? When you pray, you are praying what's in your heart. Yes? Yes? Yes. Yes. So what do you think Jesus was doing when he said this is how you should pray? He's praying what's in his heart. He's saying this, summed up in this prayer, this is the purpose, this is what I'm here for. Prayer expresses the deep things of the heart. And you see, the thing is, and this might come as a shock to you, and I'm sorry if I'm being a shocking Brit this morning, but Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. Jesus did not come to start this thing called Christianity, having said, you know what, that Jewish thing, we tried it for a while, didn't really work. Let's try something else, and let's call it Christianity. That is not what is going on. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He came to fulfill, bring to completion, an old one, the Jewish faith, an ancient religion. Is that news to you? It shouldn't be. And we know quite a lot about that Jewish faith at the time. We know specifically what Jewish people at the time were hoping for. The people who could say, and already did, God is our Father. They already said that. That's not original. You may have often heard in church taught that Christians have something new in this Abba relationship. Not really. When God brought Israel out of uh, Egypt, he said, I will be your, and you will be my firstborn, my son. But we know that at the time of Jesus, something had gone wrong in that story. And the people of Israel were hoping for, longing for God to step into history, their history again. This is what had happened. You can't miss this. The Exodus narrative. The story of how Israel is brought out of Egypt, become a people, and enter the promised land. And it's in that story that you first get this extraordinary moment where God says, I'm going to be your king, but not a king somewhere wafting off in a place called heaven. I'm going to be your king on earth. You know the story. Israel is brought out of Egypt, and there's a moment where God says to them, you have got to build me a tent. Do you remember that part of the story? A tabernacle. 
And there are really specific instructions. This is what it's going to be like, this tabernacle. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy God, he's building himself a temple. It's a tent because it's got to be temporary. It's got to move around, but it's a temple. Well, yes and no. We know enough about history that we know that that tent was specifically and deliberately the kind of tent that ancient kings had. If you were a king in the ancient Near East and you were nomadic, you had a tent just like that. So what is God saying to his people? I am now going to be your king on earth as in heaven. In fact, I am going to be present to you. I am going to be with you. I will be like a shepherd. I will lead you. Not off somewhere else, but here on earth. I'm going to tabernacle with you as a father. More shockingly, like a husband. That kind of intimacy, it's already there in the very early story of the Exodus. But you know what happens. You know how the story goes. Things do not go well. Israel proves to be a faithless bride, a prodigal child. Lots of the Old Testament is really about how Israel messes things up, and it culminates in a terrible moment, really an awful moment, where Israel, in the midst of all her mess and shame and pain, says, we want another king, a different king, someone like King Charles, an earthly king. And stunningly, God says, okay. You can read this if you want to go look. He says, you won't like it. You won't like King Charles. Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's funny, but it's tragic. Because in essence, Israel is rejecting God as king. And the consequences are Bad. Despite one or two good kings, good but imperfect like David, Israel continues down a bad path and it ends up with this terrible moment where Israel is sent off into exile in Babylon. Things have gone so bad that sort of God says, okay, I'm not even going to protect you. You get, they get overtaken by the Babylonians and the whole of Israel, or not whole, but large parts of Israel end up in exile. It's a tragedy, but it's worse than that because there is a moment recorded in Ezekiel, where the God who came to tabernacle with Israel on earth to says, I will be with you, I will be present to you. In Ezekiel 10, it's recorded that that God who is present now in the temple in Jerusalem, there comes a moment in the midst of all the mess where God leaves the temple. God, the true king, the one on earth as in heaven. This is what Ezekiel 10 says. Then the glory, that means the presence of the Lord, departed from over the threshold of the temple. It was the ultimate tragedy for a people whose whole understanding of faith was that God would be present with them as king on earth as in heaven. So guess what the people of Israel were hoping for? Not just a king, 
But what were they hoping for? Come on, this is not rocket science. The king has departed, so what are they hoping for? The king will come back. Where? Well, the temple, particularly if you were Jewish, but in heaven, somewhere out there, on earth. That's what Israel's hope for. Now, I know that we have some biblical scholars, particularly down here in the front row, on my right. They say, wait a minute, Matt, you've got this story wrong because Israel does return from exile in Babylon. Yes, that's true. And they rebuilt the temple, so everything's okay, isn't it, Matt? Isn't that what happened? Yes, but somehow, and it's not very clear because this is long silence in the Bible, somehow Israel still retains the sense that they are actually still in exile. Even though they've returned, it's not as it should be. And by the time of Jesus, Israel is occupied by Rome. We know that part of the story. So they're sort of at home but in exile. It's still not right. And even though they built the temple, rebuilt the temple, somehow God is not really present there. And in fact, it's been largely rebuilt by a guy called Herod, who's an absolute scoundrel. So they're kind of back but not back. So guess what their hope is still? by the time Jesus crops up. What's their hope? The king would return. God would come back on earth. Again, the presence of God would be with them on earth as in heaven. And they wait hundreds of years and they pray and they hope And then somehow in the midst of that praying and hoping, this idea that maybe a Messiah would come who would lead them into that kingdom. And we know who that Messiah is as Christians, right? We know that part, but we sometimes forget that he came to fulfill the same hope as the Jewish people had. He didn't come to bring a new and different kind of hope Something else, which often in the church, if we're honest, is, I hope that when I die, I go to the good place and not the bad. Isn't that often really what we sort of think Christian hope is? Well, maybe you're right. I'm not God. I can't tell you. But I can tell you from a historical point of view, that's not what Jesus was pointing to when he said to his disciples, you pray, your kingdom come, Your will be done as in heaven. You know, I found myself uh, recently going back to spend some time getting a little therapy, a little counseling. Various circumstances in my life pushed me to that moment. It's not the first time. Probably won't be the last. But I was reminded as I spent time doing that revisiting and re-evaluating my story, just how important our stories are in the way we understand our lives and our hopes and our fears and our dreams and all those sorts of things. Our stories really matter. And if we have a broken story, then we will very likely have broken hopes, broken dreams, broken desires. 
I had to learn what the Talmud, an ancient Jewish wisdom, says. You see, we don't see things. We don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. Whatever is in us, whatever framework, whatever story, whatever lens, we will interpret everything that's going on around us through that lens. So when, if that lens is broken or distorted, we will see things wrong. And an awful lot of therapy and counseling is basically trying to get the lens back into the right kind of shape, retelling our stories, re-understanding. And it's the same for our faith. If we carry a broken lens, if we carry hopes that really aren't deeply there, in the story, then it's very likely we will take the scriptures and reinterpret them to fit what we think it's saying. Have we got our hopes right? Do we as Christians have the same hope that the Jewish people had? I would argue, as a matter of history, we should. We should hope for God here on earth as in heaven. And in fact, our scriptures, our Bible, ends, framework, the story that gets told in the book of Revelation. And is it a surprise that in that book, it ends with this vision, which is drawn almost directly from Isaiah, the scripture we read, the Jewish prophet. It's an image of how all things will come to an end, And it ends with the wedding supper of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, God's space and our space married together on earth as in heaven. And you get this deliberate echo of what we read this morning, Isaiah's kingdom prophecies. For behold, Isaiah says, I create the new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. It's exactly the same at the end of our scriptures in the book of Revelation. And it goes on with this stunning, poetic, not literal, but literary image of what it will be like when God's kingdom comes on earth as in heaven. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. That ain't right. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. A new reality the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. The exile has ended finally a new reality. And if you really, really want to know what to hope for, as a Christian, go and read Isaiah. Go and read the prophecies of Isaiah. Go and read the vision that God gave, we hope and assume is correct, to Isaiah of the kingdom on earth as in heaven. This morning, has our hope changed? I hope not. I hope that's the direction of your hope. And why does all this matter? Well, I want to finish with this. I want to suggest that if we get our hopes right as Christians, then we will all become a lot more woke. Just wanted to wake you up a little bit. Woke is one of those words that everybody seems to be able to define to suit their own purposes, so I'm going to define it to suit my purposes. 
W-O-K-E, Works of Kingdom Enterprise. Works of Kingdom Enterprise. I didn't think of that, a friend of mine did. It's not original. But hey, nor was Jesus' prayer original. It wasn't. Works of Kingdom Enterprise. That we get involved with the Father's will, the Father's purpose on earth as in heaven. That we get involved with works of righteousness, of putting things right, of healing, of restoration, of justice. Why? Even if we can't complete them, even if they're imperfect, because that's the direction of the Father's will. That one day that kingdom will come in full. Yes, as Christians, we understand or should understand that that kingdom has come in the person of Jesus. That the cross was a coronation much more glorious than King Charles's. It was the moment that the kingdom was realized on earth or began. That that kingdom is present with us and among us by the Spirit. And it is yet to come and be completely fulfilled in Jesus' return. But the story and the hope have not changed. It's the same story. It's the same hope. And doesn't it make sense? Because what was the question that the disciples kept asking? Jesus, oh, Jesus, what's it going to be like in heaven? Right? No! (laughs) No, they never asked him that. They said a few things, but it was always about the kingdom. What's the kingdom going to be like? How do we operate in the kingdom? How is the kingdom going to come? They never asked him, what's it going to be like in heaven? Isn't that interesting? Should be. Come on, you woke people. What should we do? How should we end? When you pray, I was talking to Dean a little bit about this talk. Dean's a man of great wisdom. I don't know what to talk about. Kingdom on earth is in heaven. But actually what we ended up talking about is we ended up talking about Anglicanism. Oh, how interesting. And the value in Anglicanism that we repeat things, we're very boring. We just repeat and repeat and repeat. We call it liturgy to give it a grand name. It just means we're boring people who do the same things again and again. But really what's happening, as you gather here, as you go through the liturgy, as we take communion, as we say these words, you're telling the story. You're telling the whole story, not just one part, not just the preach, not just the word. You're telling the whole story. And sure, sometimes you'll respond to some parts more than others, and some of it will just wash over you. That's fine. But you're retelling the story for a purpose. And the purpose is that your imaginations, your hearts, your hopes would re-engage with the whole story of the Bible. Not just the bit where Jesus comes to die for our sins. That's super important. Not just the bit where Jesus rises from the dead, super important. But why does all that matter and where's the whole story going? 
that really matters too. It really matters that we have the whole story and we don't just take those bits and then make them fit the story we think we have. That happens all the time. And the whole story is that God always intended that the whole earth would be a place for his dwelling with man on earth, his kingdom on earth as in heaven. Now, if anybody of you want to come and disagree with me afterwards, I'll be wearing exactly the same clothes, and you can have an argument about it. I don't know that I'm right, but I do know as a matter of history, that's what the Jewish people were hoping for, and that Jesus didn't say, you've got that story wrong. In fact, he said, yes, you should pray that. You pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray. Father, this morning, my prayer as we re-engage with uh, the story that you came to reignite, to fulfill through your son Jesus on earth, through his death, his resurrection, that we would refind ourselves in that story that our imaginations and hearts would be caught up into that story, that you'd fill our hearts with hope wherever we are this morning, whether we've heard that a thousand times or it's the first time, whether we're weary or the sun is shining, whatever it is. Lord, we're here to participate in your kingdom. so that we can pray with Jesus with all our hearts. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done on earth as in heaven right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us as we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them and lead us not into temptation. your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom